Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to Podcast 124. My name is Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, our friend Moscow White. Hello. Friend, that's nice. You get in there. I almost. like having friends. You'll be on the Christmas card list one of these years. Honestly, keep plugging away. Keep plugging away. Uh, sightings of the great and not so great coming up once we've dealt with Millwall. And that is when the ninth issue of the fanzine went on sale. Thank you to you if you pick one up at the ground or bought one online. There is still time to get your copy. If you haven't, you can grab yourself 10 years of issues, including that current one. If you get a digital sub, quid a month. All the articles from the new issues go onto the website as well. So you can read them in a nice phone tablet friendly format or download the whole mag and look at all those glorious layouts as it was intended in print. Subscribe now at thesquareball.net. Now, I dare say we're going to be piling in good and proper both feet onto Neil Warnock shortly, but first let's bask in the glory of us pissing off a different kind of Neil. Now there's a happy man. A lot of happy men. There is yeah, a throng of happy men. Uh, credit to Lewis Dayton17 for a spectacular clip from his vlog that he tweeted out from the game at the weekend. And did you have similar emotions to Lewis when that goal went in? I think my favourite bit in that is, is it Lewis himself who is uh, shouting, I love this club and all the stuff. But in the background, there's one person who, there seems to be like one continuous just yell, like an air raid siren that just doesn't stop throughout all the way to the end of the clip, that person, that's the happy person for me. Although I was in a slightly more sedate area of the ground, even there, there was a um, impossible to contain the emotion and the, the sheer pleasure of watching Pablo Hernandez slide in from nowhere. I was trying to explain to someone at work today, but who's not a football fan, just what, this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Millwall were formed in, uh, on the Isle of Dogs in 19... 19- but it's just very hard. I said to it, there is nothing better than it. And I'm aware there are things better in life, more meaningful, deep things that, you know, if they were taken away would make me deeply unhappy in a way that Millwall winning wouldn't have done. But in that moment, there is nothing better. Are you talking about your wife and kids or the under 23s or what? <laughs> Pretty much everything. It's an unmatchable moment in any other bit of life, in my experience anyway. Just and that. we owed them it as well, because that Millwall game at home last season should have ended like this when we came from behind with the red card and stuff and went ahead that that game should have just ended at that that point and we had the uh, crushing disappointment of them doing what they did you did say this on the last podcast actually if you recall your uh, in your reference 
to the last time we faced Millwall that it would have been a perfect ending, but this time we got it. That's because uh, Pablo Hernandez took us there this time. He wasn't going to let it happen twice. On the celebrations as well, after this, it was everyone sort of standing up picking themselves back together again after the goal. Um, and I looked across to my right and the guy had blood like pissing out of his ear, <laughs> which thankfully it turned out was a cut on his ear because I was slightly worried he'd had a, like a brain hemorrhage or something and blood was <laughs> leaking out of his head. But it was just his earlobe had somehow got cut on like a watch or something in the in all the madness of it. But you, you could see the confusion on his face as if like, is this what's had to happen for, for Pablo? Have I lost an ear? <laughs> Because anything could happen in those in those situations. There's so, so much adrenaline kicking about. You could lose an arm, couldn't you? You yeah. wouldn't know. Because you do get the feeling like a weird wave of adrenaline through you, and you like, and it does just take a minute to to get yourself set again. And I imagine it's what a bit like what happens if you've been in an accident or something, where you just have to have a minute to think, "Am I all right? Am I all right? Or if I like, uh, no, all bits of me still here." <laughs> and then the shock sets in. Maybe you try to make sense of what's just happened. Well, let's rewind then back to the start of the game because it was a pretty eventful game. Another five-goal thriller, I think, because we're, if we're dabbling in the uh, in the cliches, a five-goal thriller started pretty inauspiciously. Did you have a feeling back at the start, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be another one of those days? This was one where I'd put a fiver on Leeds to win before the match. And when we went 1-0 down, I upped it to a tenner. Oh. I just had that feeling of like, I just didn't think we were going to lose. Admittedly, I have done something like that before and ended up losing all my money. Um, <laughs> but I had a, a, a confidence that, that maybe wasn't um, justified by what I was watching from Leeds United's players because they were quite shaky at the start. Giving them a chance inside 20 seconds was not the, they, they came quite close to kind of nullifying the Pablo West Brom goal and uh, we'd never really sorted ourselves after that until they took the lead very good save from Bailey Peacock Farrell to keep it at nil nil low down to his left oh hang on a second let's just pause for thought here is this you complimenting young BPF rather than for example taking a clip of a mistake that he'd done joining it together with a load of other mistakes and then releasing it as a video when he was coming through to potentially replace Felix Viedwald in the first team well yeah I haven't had time to really go through and clip the rest of his performance but that was a very good save. He did seem to contribute, like, oh, we may as well get it out of the way now. His, he did seem to <laughs> contribute. You know. He did seem to contribute to a certain amount of uncertainty at the back. You can see it in, um, I was watching the replay back of our equaliser. It starts with Liam Cooper intercepting a uh, Millwall counterattack and he looks across at Bailey Peacock Farrell and kind of gestures at him as if, are you going to come and get this? He's like, oh no, you're not because it's you. It, you're not Kiko Casilla. So then he sorts it out and starts the attack. And there was another one of those where Cooper kind of beckoned him across. He's like, you come and deal with this. And uh, You Farrell, don't change, dear. You and, don't You don't change. And Peacock Farrell went and he... The initial compliment. He completely then, missed then the clearance. The truth they, comes out. They nearly scored. But the goal wasn't his fault. Nothing to do about the penalty. He just he seems to introduce a, a little bit of uncertainty. But then lovely photographs of him with a big beaming f- smile. Uh, making children happy after the game um, and wearing glasses which I'd forgotten about I always have that thing do you, do you trust a goalkeeper with glasses goalkeeper with poor eyesight is that alright is that applicable is that good or is that bad just putting it out there I'm just saying <laughs> for what it's worth uh, all joking aside I know what you mean about Bailey Peacock Farrell perhaps his inexperience counts against him sometimes I think so I th- it may be not just him I think it's the defenders you could see there was something about the way they were playing where they understand Kiko Casillas is going to do his thing so they know he's going to do something. They seem to have a doubt in their minds when Bailey's behind them. It's just like they're not sure what he's going to do. And I think it's because maybe he's not been through all the situations in football yet because he's, he's, he's a young, he's a young he's man. A young man. In his defence as well, playing goalkeeper in a BLS team is difficult. 
you're expected to do quite a bit. It's not like in the early 90s, it'd probably been fine. We could just pick up everything that came to you and just yeah. leather it to Lee Chapman. To stand and save things. And um, Phil Hay wrote a very good article about him coming back into the team before this match, pointing out that uh, he's a similar age and similar development to somebody like Jack Clark or Ryan Adamson or Jamie Shackleton, who have got the, you can measure their um, their season in minutes. Whereas him, you're talking about, he has been a first choice goalkeeper when arguably he shouldn't be just because that's too much to ask of, of somebody. So for him to come out of it and still be with, with a win and at least one very good save. And also he made children happy by giving them uh, gloves and shirts. And uh, and he has got a nice smile when he bothers. Interesting that you said on the last podcast, Moscow, you thought Millwall would be awful. They didn't prove awful, but again, another team playing above themselves, Michael. I think the the pace they came out at took us by surprise a little bit. It seems to be we, the tone sometimes set for these games because it was obvious from the first minute it was going to be quite difficult. Whereas the Reading game, the way that started, it was obvious within a minute we were going to batter them. And yeah, they, they sort of overwhelmed us a bit, I thought. And it probably didn't help that the midfield seemed to not really work. I didn't think. I didn't think Klitsch was particularly involved. Phillips was kind of pulled all over the place. I don't know. The, the setup of it didn't seem to quite work for me. They've done that thing of putting a player on Phillips. It was their number eight, Thompson, I think, was kind of playing the number 10 role, but I think he's more of a defensive midfielder. So they kind of put a defender up front. And it's what Swansea did to Calvin Phillips, it ended up with him being substituted after half an hour. And it seems to be the one thing that sort of shithouse lower league managers. Shh, don't- it's the one thing that they think they can do, but it's proved now that Phillips can handle it to the extent that, that we end up winning anyway and he doesn't have to come off. It does just mean it disrupts. Although he did uh, move to centre back by the end of the game. Well, well, let's come on to that in a bit. First of all, um, Bamford, we need to talk about him because that's what the first thing that happened after we went 1 0 down. You thought, all right, good, right, rebalance the universe, get back into this. What was he playing at? If I didn't have some knowledge that Bamford is quite a decent player and this would be all I'd seen of him. I would assume he was a Wayne Andrews, Habib Habibu, abysmal emergency loan signing. He was properly dreadful, wasn't he? Yeah. I'm not making this up. No, it's true. The penalty side, the penalty obviously is bad, but you know, Pablo hit a bad penalty last year. Doesn't mean he's a a bad player or played badly in that game. Mm. Bamford was horrendous through the whole game. I think I wrote in my match report, I said everything that he could do right, he did wrong. (laughs) There were some things where it was quite close. So there was one, I remember, um, there was a pass and Tyler Roberts was making a run. And if he'd kind of done a back heel flick to him, it would have put Tyler Roberts through on an an open goal, running into the penalty area. And he knew, he knew that because he tried to dummy it. And because he dummied it, it just went straight to the Millwall player standing behind him. So it was like, you're doing the right thing. You're just doing it wrong. And it was that all the way through, like a ball would bounce and he'd be he'd be like six inches the wrong side of it. Like he wouldn't, he'd move his position to receive it and he'd go from being in the right place and he'd go, I'm just going to move. And then he'd put himself in the wrong place. It's like that with almost absolutely everything. It was really frustrating. And the language style, I think, probably counts against him when you're watching him and you think he's just mm. not in the game today. But that's kind of how he plays. I think the, the potential people's vote is probably playing on his mind. <laughs> doesn't, want to, doesn't want it going back to the people. <laughs> uh, Pablo, however, obviously brought us back into the game, and what a performance! Are we going to are we going to address the fact that it wasn't actually a penalty? I've not actually seen a replay. It was Alioski. <laughs> you you don't just, need to know anymore. You're buying into. Have you uh, seen any of the footage of the match with the Millwall commentary? No, I rewatched it all on uh, Sunday morning with the Millwall commentary, <laughs> and um, they were, you know, when um, it was actually just one of. Calvin Phillips' best bits of play, or most in- smartest bits of play, he was breaking and we could have had a counter-attack, but it didn't look very likely. 
So instead of bursting for the counter-attack, he let the player foul him knowing that he would get booked. And it was one of their centre-halves. It was very clever. And he knew he was going to get booked. Alioski was near the referee and just went over and started moaning about, oh, you've got to book him for this. And the uh, the Cockney commentators were like, oh, that Alioski, he's run 40 yards to have it out with the referee. Like, oh, this place is a disgrace. Having a tear up in it, hey. And he hadn't. He'd, he'd oh, we love our mums. He was doing this, they called him a whinge bag, which is probably, you know, accurate. But they were making it up into be something it he really wasn't. He likes running wasn't. as well. He does like running. And they had a, a real thing about uh, Pontus Janssen. You know, when he won a free kick near the corner flag and it was such an obvious foul that he kind of threw himself to the ground, almost having a laugh, like flung his arms in the air and did a big, uh, like kind of diving board dive, just kind of taking the piss. And they're like, oh, this is a disgrace. A six foot. They started going on about guy with tattoos up his arms. If you want to be an alpha male, you've got to act like an alpha male. Throwing himself to the ground. It's cheating all this. Why ain't that a bucking? And it's like, <laughs> what? A, a bucking. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and they just completely missed that he's basically he's having a laugh. And then the whole thing with uh, the incident that people thought he should have been sent off for, the guy, if he said it once, that you can't just go over there and elbow him in the face. He's elbowed him in the face. He's run off the pitch and he's elbowed him in the face. In the face. You can block somebody, but you can't elbow him in the face. He's elbowed the guy in the face. You can't just go over there. Can I, can I just ask you, how's Mary Poppins at the minute? Elbowing in the... <laughs> she's been elbowed in the face. <laughs> She ain't got all her own teeth anymore. I tell you, practically perfect in every way. She's down the hospital with her nose broken, elbowed in the face, on and on and on. And the the, the pinnacle of their commentary, they they developed a second half narrative of how there's a conspiracy against Millwall. Nobody likes Millwall. Everybody loves these. It's at home referees, Ellen Road, and they go, oh yeah, you wait, watch this referee now. Injury time, we'll be lucky if we get two minutes off this guy. That conspiracy, I'm believing it now. We never get, ah, oh, oh, he's given us five, five, five minutes in drive. And they were like that all the way through. <laughs> oh, that's never going to be a free kick for Millwall. He's never going to, ah, oh, it's free kick for Millwall. He's given it time. Ah, oh, he's never going to book him for, oh, he's booked their player, actually. Conspiracy, and it was just. Well, I should have sent him off, innit? It was, I was probably more wound up and angry lying in bed on Sunday morning watching that on the laptop than have, I was in the ground. Did you have anything to say about them trying to dig up the penalty spot? They missed, ba- Bamford had to actually stand on the spot and defend uh, it. He didn't see that, did he? Probably. They didn't have anything to say about that. They were still moaning about Alioski uh, winning the penalty at that point, but that really wound me up as well. Because it's one thing I've seen that done sneakily in the World Cup or something, or European, Pepe probably. It was Colombia against England, wasn't it? Right. But not when the player is actually standing on the spot and you are kicking the ground beneath between his legs. And uh, it was probably the most uh, decisive that Bamford was all day when he shoved him off the penalty spot. And then the guys going to the referees like, he's shoving me. Absolute fools. Sick of Millwall. I'm glad we sent Neil Harris back to the fucking riverbank. <laughs> it, to be fair to Neil Harris, he was quite complimentary about Leeds, considering he is a semi-aquatic rodent. I don't care. I hope his home gets washed away. <laughs> <laughs> the network of underground tunnels or wherever it is he lives. <laughs> so let's talk about Pablo then. We've, what a performance, as I said before, just off the charts, that man, wasn't he? And another great tactical switch as well, sticking him inside from Bielsa. Is it fair to say it's the best individual performance of potentially the last decade. Can't think of one better. I can't either. <laughs> I don't want to go too overblown on it, but I'm trying to think of anyone playing better ever. To the extent where there was one point in the second half where he really should have played in Jack Clark. Yeah. And he didn't. And everyone sort of went, oh, no, I don't matter. <laughs> there was an element of that because you took a, 
he got the ball from a short corner and instead of trying to pull it back to anybody, he it was clear he was just going to try and dribble around six players and score. And I think there was a point where he was maybe reaching, he looked like, again, this is Nick from my match report, like a professional player who's gone for like just a five-a-side kickabout and then got pissed off when he starts losing. So he's just going to run around everybody. He's like, right, we're five nil down, lads. Don't worry, I'll get us back to five all and then the rest of you can have a touch. But it's what we needed. Even the first, when he scored the first goal, the equaliser, I remember thinking then, it's like, yeah, we need an equaliser against this lot. Pablo's going to sort it out, start the move, finish the move. I'm not quite sure where he's dragged this from because he, he very much took it by the scruff of the neck and he's been here through some pretty dismal times and he's not really shown that before, I don't think, in previous seasons. Whereas this year, he seems to be the, he's the man. But then he's, this is this plays into the narrative about Bielsa making everybody raise the game and the style obviously suits him and his position, to be fair. I mean, Hernandez is not a young man anymore. You would think of a sort of a tricky winger type would be getting worse by this point. But he seems to be just be getting better every week. But he's not a tricky winger, is he? He's more like a playmaker. He's plays where he wants. But when he's played out on the wing, he's he seems to be able to run faster and for longer than he, he has in his previous years. Well, the beautiful thing about Bielsa's style, I guess, is that obviously you've always got a, a fullback in support or overlapping, haven't you? So you don't need to have the legs necessarily because the fullback is going to do it. And to be fair to Ailing, he scored, didn't he? So and gave a nice little skip as well. I enjoyed his little skips on the way back to the halfway line. And Ailing scored. We should point out as well that he was inside the six yard box of flying header from our right back Lee Chapman or Ian Baird esque I think the uh, the other thing about Pablo pulling his performances out is that there's something at stake this season it's not just pissing it around getting to 15th I know there was the Gary Monk season when we go over the playoffs but that kind of there was no lack of effort towards the end of that season there was just no inspiration in anybody's play in the whole team whereas I think there's a, a sense now Pablo knows that if you does this, the players around him will also react and that there's promotion at stake. Because one of the things that became noticeable after Pablo moved into midfield is that Tyler Roberts basically was very intelligently just kind of getting out of his way. It's like, oh, if Pablo's going there, right, I need to be I need to be going over here. And it was all calculated around getting the ball out to um, Harrison and Douglas on one leg. Harrison played very well. He's often been criticised, I think, but he, he was very good in this game. They did have the the infuriating thing that, that winds me up about those two whenever they play is that they're really reluctant to use Douglas's left foot and just ping across in because it's obviously all about getting to the byline. But sometimes like, don't just chip it over the fullback again. Um, and it was a little bit like that with Ailing's goal because it looked like they'd overcomplicated things instead of just using this wand of a left foot and pinging it over. And then when Harrison dragged it back, only one thing he could do Left foot, six yard box, Ailing's head, goal. And I was like, why didn't you just do that? <laughs> but we talk about Bielsa's style, and actually, Ailing's goal there, you say it's our right fullback who's in the six yard box, teed up by our left, by left fullback, fullback who's who was on the byline. Pretty much on the edge of the six yard box as well. And where was Bamford? <laughs> but it doesn't matter in this. That's kind of some of the, the joy of it is uh, Bamford can have a terrible game, but we, it doesn't affect things the way it, it, it would have done had it been Lasaga last year who would be the only fact not getting in the box. It's a different thing. We're getting, uh, we're expecting Douglas and Ailing to be sorting it out so that Bamford doesn't have to worry. He could just look gazingly at his servants on the byline. Say, could you just get my dressing gown ready, please? I've, I've had enough. Nice as well to give a middle finger to Steve Morrison because he deserved it with his pre-match comments, I think. It'd be lovely if that was the last we saw of him. As I said last week, we'll never play him again after this. this and did time. you see him leave the pitch? 
straight down the tunnel, wasn't it? First player off as well. After he'd been, his interview in the week was, oh, I'm not saying that if we win, I'm going to do a lap of honour, but <laughs> I might. And then, yeah, straight off as soon as the final whistle went, didn't look at anybody, didn't shake anybody's hands, just out of there. And I really hope that's the last we see of him. On to the other games then, because now we have to pretty much take it all in context. We know where we are in the league, back up into second. Moscow, you said that Bristol City was going to be a gimme for Sheffield United. Well done to Lee Johnson. We've always liked him as an individual. Uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him. He was great. Happy for the chairman as well. He's a good guy too. <laughs> yes, wherever he was offshore celebrating that win. It was great still being in the ground when the, the scoreboard turned around and that that was revealed because I had not seen any of the other score lines where I was. And it sounded like a lot of other people still in the stadium hadn't either. And certainly the players, they had a big celebration as well. Just like, yeah, this is good. And then finding out that it all happened in one minute. Is that significant? Does that mean that the stars are aligning? Is the is the moon in our quadrant? Is it in our sign? Is Mercury coming out of retrograde? Are we going to actually do this? Because interplanetary craft are, <laughs> have been called by Pablo Hernandez's eyes like space beams and they're answering. Did we maybe see... Sheffield United, managed by Chris. Soft underbelly, do you think? I mean, it's not the first time it's happened to them, is it? The Aston Villa game. Now this. Dean Henderson, um, delightfully at fault for one of the goals as well. Thought you were going to say something about a soft belly then. No, no. no. Really wondering where it was going. Stop. (laughs) Prefers the... You can't say those things, so we won't say those things. Stop it and behave. Norwich, though, looks like they're out of sight now, done it until they come back into sight, but it'd be nice to catch them. Get a bit smog. Yeah, Middlesbrough just let us down. Tony Pugh is supposed to be better than this. I know I don't expect much from Adam Clayton, but Johnny House and I felt could have done more. West Brom beating Birmingham, I ended up watching some of that and it was dreadful stuff. I I, I hope um, an indication of how easily we'll be able to turn over Birmingham next week. But it was just, just a reminder that uh, we make the championship look like a joy. These games, I've not seen much of the Sheffield United match, but I assume it was a chore. These guys make it miserable. So we've got to uh, beat them all. In this week's Extra Ball podcast, we're going to be getting our teeth into this big question. Given the fitting tribute to the death of Bill Fotherby, what should the response of the club be if the life support unit is bound to end up like Davros of Kenneth Bates is accidentally switched off? Big question there from Keith. Well, we will be uh, tackling that one and resuming the board game, Leeds United Soccer Supremo. Plus, we wonder... Could Gianni Alioski, Willie Cotter in the Premier League, assuming that we get there? If you'd like to support us and help grow this podcast, please subscribe to The Extra Ball. It's two ninety nine a month and you can find that at thesquareball.net forward slash The Extra Ball. Well, absolutely no shortage whatsoever of headline makers this week. We will single out our pick of the bunch shortly. First, Moscow, after you encountered Paul Butler gosling on a marshmallow-laden hot chocolate in a Costa Coffee in Knotsford in Cheshire when you were visiting your parents, we wondered who you'd seen and where. Who have we got this time? There's a bit of an overlap with something I'm sure we saw once here, which is um, from Kieran Bridges, who saw Paul Connolly in Subway in Wakefield on a night out six years ago. Uh, the only time I've seen a Leeds player outside a football setting. Disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- did we see him? Did he dream this in it, Bristol? It was through a haze of a lot of alcohol at about two in the morning. It was the game, wasn't it, where Snodgrass scored. Did we win 2-0 at Bristol City? Or was it 3-2? Something like that. About 2011? I can't even remember. I can't, well, I can't yeah. remember the game. I can't remember Paul Connolly. That, Torrid night in the travel lodge, but I know it's not as it sounds. Um, but we did. We, we went to a takeaway, didn't we? After we'd finished in the pub on the way back to the uh, the travel lodge, and it was Paul Connolly. I'm fairly sure. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing now. Probably working in a takeaway. It was. I think he was getting a dirty burger, if I remember rightly. But I can't. I cannot remember. 
because I think we'd consider. In fact, that's probably the last fun I had in my life was that <laughs> thinking about it with Paul Connolly and the takeaway in Bristol, or not somebody who just looked like him. I was thinking the torrid night in the room, uh, the travel lodge with Michael and several other gentlemen. But There's some gagging going on in that room, as I can recall. First thing in the morning, oh God, that was horrendous, wasn't it? Absolutely horrendous. But yeah, yeah, I wonder what he was getting, Paul Connolly in his subway. Foot long, six inch. Well, while you uh, <laughs> think of that, I'll um, I'll take up the message from uh, David Gile, contributor to the latest issue of the Square Ball. You can read his article about dying smiling. It's more cheerful than it sounds and you should go to squareball.net and buy the magazine. He saw, <laughs> he was reminded by us talking about Neil Redfern in a Nando. It was Redfern in Nando's last yep. week, wasn't it? He also, in the Trinity Nando's a few years ago, saw Antonucci, Bianchi and Del Fabro huddled around a table a couple of weeks before the 6-6 incident. I don't know if David is implying that they were plotting it at that mm. point over the uh, peri-peri, but uh, Mirko looked particularly unimpressed with the peri-peri marinade. Well, Michael, you were trashing the uh, the Nando chef last time who, who messaged us in to say he'd cited Redders, and maybe... Well, the Italians do know the food, generally speaking. I'll, I'll give them that. I don't want to give these three any credit for anything else particularly. Maybe we've uncovered the mystery though. Maybe there's food poisoning involved. I think you'd only know Del Fabro if he was with other the other two as well, because there's no way you're recognising Del Fabro in isolation. Anyone got any inclination as to what it looked like? Hair colour? Suave I'm, Italian, I'm thinking. I'm Googling him right now, just out of interest in what he's actually doing. And Wikipedia tells me that he somehow made it after leaving us and a couple more loans. He signed for Juventus. Um, he's not played for them. They've sent him out on loan as well, but that's that's where he is. No information on what he looks like. He's not got a picture on his Wikipedia page. Suave Italian. Go with that. Suave Italian. And finally, thanks to Paul McCormack, who teed off quite a discussion here as well. At Lennon303, if you want to say hi to Paul. Uh, he once saw Clyde Weinhart and Harvey Nichols in Leeds. He was standing next to the fish tank with his missus. I said hello. He just stared back at me. <laughs> Blank. <laughs> I didn't know they even had a fish tank in Harvey Nicks. Not that I go in there very often. You'd be horrified at the prices in there. Never, never once set a foot in there. Horrified at that. It does sound like Clyde was having quite a bad time staring at the fish. Well, staring at the people. Contra- staring at the fish. Aren't I one of those fish <laughs> in a way? <laughs> Controversy, though, because if he was with his missus in there, Mick saw this uh, at Mick Ingle. And he said, I was once witness to Clyde using the most direct chat-up line possible at the end of the season player awards, 98-99. Still makes him cringe. And the line, fill in the blanks, I would like to blank your blank. Shuts all the misunderstanding with a perfectly rational explanation. I'd like to Pablo your Hernandez. Hold your hand was my thinking. That's nice. That's nice, isn't it? Yes. Nice nice 1950s chat-up line. Obviously, we continue our glorious charge towards promotion. Congratulations to the under-23s. Not only have they won the league, but they've made it to the FA Cup semi-final, so we're on for a double. Big things. I watched the uh, Colchester game back, the game that clinched the league. We were good. Colchester were terrible. I think that was perhaps a contributing factor to that particular win. Ryan Edmondson is a massive bully and it's great. At least one of the goals came from him just basically marauding right into the face of their goalkeeper and creating so much panic that then uh, whoever was on the right wing that played really well was able to then, uh, nick the ball and cross for him to score. But it was just monstering. He was monstering their defenders. Beasting them. Yes. But we're good. We're, we're very good at the under-23s. It's interesting looking through that team to see what sort of become of them because there's a lot of the, uh, the that huge random influx of players that we had last year has actually filtered through to a lot of them. Look, Hugo Diaz looked really good. Jordan Stevens, if I think it was Jordan Stevens who was playing on the right wing, he was really impressive and we signed him 
last January. He was one of the kind of the disappointments with uh, Arpo Halme, who was on international duty for this game. But the squad is kind of filled with a lot of players who I've not even seen Matches Bogus yet, but we take it from Matches Click that he's going to be a better player than him. And he's 17 and seems to have just come in and started just doing incredible things. And then uh, filling out Jamie Shackleton and uh, Jack Clark, the players kind of coming up from the under-18s. They're really young as well. They're not like a bunch of, uh, it's not reserve football being augmented. Like when I went to watch them, was it last season or the season before? I think it was last season watching them. Yes, it was last season watching them away at Huddersfield when with some nice people from Norway. And uh, Huddersfield under-23s featured Dean fucking Whitehead. There's none of that in our under-23 champions, which is really uh Edmonton aside as well, a lot of, they're mainly fairly small people as well. Like the, there's technically gifted players in there. It's not because at youth football, you can get by by just having a, the biggest people, a team yeah. of Edmontons who can just beast all over the pitch. But, you know, people like Clark and Shackleton are way about eight stone. Like when the kids put a ringer in, they're supposed to be like under nines and they put like a 15 year old in, like facial hair and stuff. There's a team in my uh, league where like it was under 14s or something and some of them were driving. <laughs> <laughs> they got they, they did get booted out to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> what was the giveaway? They'd been absolutely shit all year. Then they started winning loads of games towards the end of the year. And yeah, there were people driving. Worth saying with our tw- under 23s as well, that that's the team that's obviously going to win the Premier League and FA Cup double in 2024. So that's good. We'll keep an eye on them. We'll watch those a lot. Keep an eye as well on the Leeds United ladies who beat Morecambe 1-0 at Ellen Road. Crowd of nearly a thousand, which is great for the women's game. And um, our very own Emma Bentley, who we sponsor, Mm-hmm. scored the winner bagged the winner yeah it was it didn't feel like a massive crowd mainly because it was absolutely fucking freezing in the West End yesterday but that number is pretty close to Women's Super League levels which is impressive yeah and good game and it was good because we sponsor Emma Bentley and she scored the only goal and she's a massive Leeds fan so it was we can now officially say that we sponsor and are mates with somebody who has scored the winning goal in the competitive league fixture at Elland Road her dream came true and we can have the reflected glory because she definitely wouldn't have done that if we hadn't given her a free t-shirt. What do we get for her doing that? Is there something in this for us? What do we want? About a million pounds. Is that, is that fine? I mean, can we, can we resell our sponsorship? What price do you put on a dream coming true? About a million pounds. Okay, that's fair. So we'll we'll adjust the contracts that uh, that we did for that. But no, it was good. So good turnout and the team are looking pretty solid. I think that got them up to fourth in the league. Morecambe uh, had one really good chance and weren't mugs. Yeah, decent performance. It'd be good to see them back at Elland Road more than once next season because Thorpe Arch is fine. It's free to go and watch them at Thorpe Arch every other week normally. I think they're up there again on Sunday. But there is a difference at Elland Road. It gets just people know where to go, know how to get there. You can get a thousand people down there and it's good. It's fun. It's football. It's people in Leeds kits kicking the ball around and winning. Speaking of Ellen Road, let's address this thing. You know, Bobby Bowery, who's the pundit, never really made it anywhere in the game, did he, of any particular note. The stuff on Sky Sports, it's been a fairly well-trodden path now, but it blew up on Twitter this week when, if you haven't seen it though, suggested that he'd heard monkey chants at Ellen Road and a bit of analysis by our more stat-minded individuals on on Twitter. Great research. Showed up that he'd only ever been played 11 minutes against Leeds and that was at Selhurst Park, wasn't it? He'd never actually played at Ellen Road. He, in turn, claimed that he was in the squad in 92-93, which for me does not tally up with Leeds United's history. Given our history though as fans, as a fan base, 
it's obviously a sensitive subject and we've got to tread carefully, but doesn't it just feel a bit of a, of a lazy comment, a lazy comparison, which doesn't really help anything? It was presented as well as if Ellen Road is still a hard place to go because this is the sort of thing that happens, which, like I said, I don't think anyone who was there, which none of us were, in the sort of mid-80s... Well, I was. You wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, oh, don't get me wrong. No, I remember the racist chants. I do. Just mm. about in the very my distant recesses of my mind, I can remember it and it wasn't nice. And I can remember seeing them selling like the flag outside the low fields as well, like, which if you're not familiar with what that is, the flag was um, a National Front publication, a racist newspaper, basically. I can remember being on the cop for a game against Spurs late 90s um, and we were all hissing like gas chambers at the, uh, the Spurs fans and um, being... Uh, very young. I joined in because I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. And that's one of the things that can, uh, that can go on. But yeah, the, the substance of Bobby Bowery's comment was, uh, it was all in the present tense, wasn't it? Yeah. You go to places like Elland Road and you hear this stuff and, um, you don't. And whether he ever did or not, like there's one question of, was he ever at Elland Road to hear this stuff? Even the, the game that he claims to remember from 92, 93, when he was in the squad, there's some people saying, uh, he says, yeah, it was a night match and it kicked off at 3pm. So he's been to Elland Road once and he's got not really remembering. But the, the bigger question is, what the fuck has that got to do with anything? There's a real important conversation to be going on about racism in football and the abuse that um, has been creeping in home and abroad and uh, driven by the media with some of the things that they write about Raheem Sterling in particular. But what the fuck does the fact that something happened at Elland Road or not in 1992 or what Ellen Road was like in the 1980s have to do with what we're talking about now. And it was interesting that both Brian Dean and Olivia Decor, both on Twitter, spoke up and basically said, this just doesn't help. Just chucking this stuff around about one football club, it's not a useful contribution to a debate that needs to be had. I mean, I look back to the 80s and it really was in many ways like Noel Blake, the arrival of Noel Blake and Vince Hilaire that started to turn the tide. But also you've, you've spoken to Cess Pod, haven't you, as well? And he was Leeds United's community officer, went out into the black communities and, and realised the problem needed to change from within Leeds. And I remember seeing it change over the back end of the 80s. And of course, the fanzine that went before the square ball was marching all together, which was subtitled Leeds fans united against racism and fascism. And that's where it started. It started from within the fans. They addressed the problem. Yeah, it was a, there's a lot of people might have heard of the um, terror on the terraces report that really gained a lot of notoriety for Leeds at the end of the 90s because the, um, the newspapers splashed with the, basically a catalogue of all the racism and violence that had been happening at Elland Road at the time. And what was uh, crucial about it was it had been compiled by Leeds fans and sent to the press by Leeds fans because they couldn't get anywhere with the club. So they realised that the only way that they could combat this was to make it such a massive deal that the club couldn't ignore it anymore. And to their credit, the club then did quickly get the message. They switched. I think they'd been quite lazy up until that point when they were the Marching All Together guys, the Leeds United fans against fascism and racism, or the other way around started putting leaflets out. Their big issue was that they were using the club badge without permission and it was a copyright thing and they quickly cottoned on to what needed to happen. So it became the Leeds United newspaper at the time. Used to, like, they used to carry the statements from Billy Bremner saying that racists aren't welcome at Ellen Road and became quite um, strong in the, the signings of uh, Noel Blake, who had been very badly abused by Leeds fans when he was playing for uh, Portsmouth. Quickly, once he was on our side, changed a lot and Vince Hilaire as well. It became uh, ridiculous and it was one of the other crucial things. Marching all together as a fanzine really made clear that the people bringing National Front literature and messages to Elland Road weren't Leeds fans, that they would sell this stuff outside the ground and then they would get in a van and they'd pack off 
and says, well, like, why, are you, why are you taking lessons on how to be a Leeds fan from people who aren't Leeds fans? And so that, those kind of messages were really important and they all, it began with the, the fans. And so it's maybe useful, you could talk about that now as a way of how we combat any racism that's creeping into the game or probably never gone away, but it's more visible at the moment for whatever reasons. We can learn things from it. But some idiot who I never heard of him even as a pundit, just tossing that out on Sky Sports like a little hand, hand grenade. Or you go to Well and Drone and you hear this stuff, doesn't help anybody. It's stupid. And I think it's not only him. Sky needs to think about what they're doing with this debate. Are they just using it for banter? Oh, we'll get loads of retweets if somebody just goes on and slags off Ellen Road. Is that what they're doing for this? Or have they got some kind of more serious purpose in mind? On to owners present at the minute then. And Rajasani, you want to highlight this then? A little shift of position on his ownership, Moscow. Yeah, a little bit of information about his plans from it. He did an interview last week with a website called onefootball.com. There's been a lot of talk lately about, because we are quite close to the Premier League, a lot of people about when we go up, is he going to sell out to billionaires? Which I've never really thought he would because he said at the start when he arrived, there was a quote from his first summer where he says, if I go up, I'm not selling. I'm young. I can stay here for 20 years and enjoy. Why build all of this if I then have to leave? And with the 49ers investment coming in, there's questions about whether that's changed, but he's kind of underlined that the dream is still to own a club in the Premier League um, and that uh, I love challenges and to bring Leeds United back to glorious times um, is basically what he wants to do. And he's talking about following um, how Wolves have done it, adding some investment and um, using the huge amount of money in the Premier League. Basically, he doesn't need to sell to anybody else or get outside investment because all the broadcasting money he can spend on the club. So his idea, he's kind of underlining what he said when he first arrived. If we go up, he can stay and he can run the place without having to invest for years and be very successful at it. That's his plan and kind of build the the brand. What was different is he's always put this, um, a five-year time limit on that where he said, because there's no money to be made in the championship, the championship is all about minimising your losses, thanks to Sean Harvey's broadcasting <laughs> deals, essentially. And that's the crux of all his protests about the TV deals and his arguments with uh, with Harvey. And he's always said, basically, he said, I think I can do it for five years and then I'll just have to admit that I've failed and I'll sell to somebody else and they can have a go with the club, that with the state that it's in. He's now said, therefore, there is a timeline in my mind, three years, maximum five, to make it to the Premier League. If we're there, everything changes. But if we're not there, you said after five years previously, he would sell. But now three years is a new number that he's not, I don't think he's mentioned previously. This is year two. So it gives me the feeling that if we don't go up this year, we got one more crack at it with Radrizzani. And I'm, that did make me wonder what that says about the future with Bielsa as well. Maybe he thinks he'll have one more crack with Bielsa. But also if Bielsa goes in the summer, if we're not promoted, this is all the worst case scenarios. I wonder would Radrizzani want to have another crack with a new manager or whether it might be that this summer is the one where he kind of looks at all and goes like, right, I've given it everything. If Marcelo Bielsa can't get us up, nobody can get us up. I can't do it. I can't fund another season in the championship, losing all this money. And that's that. So it's it's interesting that that three years thing has, has been introduced. Would you like to see him stay, Michael, for stability's sake, if anything? Yeah. You don't. You only need to look around at other owners. The problem is the championship clubs, no one really wants to own them, do they? Like Derby's owners, um, Mel Morris, he's, he kind of wants out because he's losing loads of money. Birmingham is spending 200% of turnover on wages. It is a money pit and Radrizzani has shown himself to be I suppose quite sensible in re- recognizing there's a time to cut your losses on it. It's just that unfortunately, cutting your losses probably looks like cutting your wage budget in half and going from a good team to a completely shit team. 
but he's been quite careful on that. I think it's sometimes the criticism he gets for not splashing the cash in transfer windows and stuff is uh, is valid from the point of view that you want to see the best players play for Leeds. But he's being quite careful of not getting us into the position of a Bolton or a Birmingham or a Derby where it's it's like chasing losses where you're just throwing more money at more shit Premier League players. You, you're getting Ashley Cole in and all this stuff and it just mounts up. He's keeping quite a tight control and he's been quite clear from the start that there's, I think there's been the two things in mind. One, there's a time limit on how long he's willing to keep trying at this and two, a budget. Like he's obviously got a pot of money in mind and said, this is how much I'm going to spend trying to get Leeds United in the Premier League and if I can't do it, I need to stop. Well, look at it this way. Hasn't this season proven when you look at Wolves, you also look at Sheffield United to an extent with Wilder. You look at Farker at at Norwich that it's very much the season of a good coach this season when you look at Bielsa and that's the masterstroke and you think him and all his coaching team is three million quid for the year. Barry Douglas is one player, three million quid. What's that, 60 grand a week? Three championship players when you balance it up? You look at the value Bielsa's added to our squad as well. At the start of this season, you'd have probably sold the whole lot for 25 million quid or something. Now you'd probably ask for that as a starting point for Calvin Phillips. It's ridiculous that the way that he's managed to transform what was it looked like a squad going nowhere into potential title winners. And it's interesting to have it underlined as well, his uh, his desire to stay in the Premier League. And it, I think that means some people might be disappointed that we're not immediately going to be sold out to like a Chinese conglomerate and billions will be spent. I don't want that. I, I don't want that. And he's talking again about the Wolves model in a little bit of a different way to how he whinged about it last season, where he's sort of saying they're the model to follow because they went up with a good team and kind of kept those players and added quite intelligently and got all the way up to seventh without doing anything spectacularly ridiculous, I suppose, because they did all their ridiculous stuff in the the championship and were helped by George Mendes. It's that kind of um, Huddersfield, obviously, have hilariously just been relegated, but their first season they up was quite... can't have been relegated. Over. It's not even... It's only just April. I mean, the, it was the end of March. I gather they went down last month. Did they? Mm. Oh. The, the, yeah, yes, it was an entire month ago that Huddersfield <laughs> dribbled out of the bottom of the Premier League like a... Like Neil Warnock shaking no. the last drops. <laughs> um, I'll never sleep again. <laughs> but they, uh, in the season, their first season up, they made the biggest profit of uh, any club in the Premier League and stayed up because they had such huge broadcasting income. Their wage bill rocketed, but they were quite clever about signings and they, they stayed up. Radrizzani points to, and he's correct, the difference between us and Huddersfield will be how much more money Leeds United can make in terms of brand. You've heard it. It's a horrible word, but you've heard what people like Gordon Strachan was saying a while ago, what people want in the Premier League. They want Manchester United versus Leeds. They want Man City versus Leeds. They want Liverpool versus Leeds. Arsenal versus Leeds. Spurs versus Leeds. Those are going to go straight up onto NBC, Sky, Fox, wherever it's broadcast all around the world, everyone's going to want to talk. The history of Leeds United is going to go worldwide in a way that it's like... And Bielsa as well. Bielsa's the multiplier, is the catalyst for all this. Yeah, in a way that just going, they got a dog on the badge, just hasn't really <laughs> sold. And when Huddersfield were, were going to go like, hey, we're going to, we're going to go over They've to... They've got a man uh, with a salute on the badge. Oh my God, look at that. We're going we're going over to that Beijing because we've heard it's, uh, it's Chinese year at dog. So we think there's a big opportunity there for us to make some pennies. And we're just going like, fuck all that. We're Leeds United. The whole world wants to know about us. And what we're saying is Leeds are the best. Bielsa is the best which does, I think, in a very tenuous way, link us into this, the Blasphemy Baton, uh, also known as the God Rod, to give it one of its many holy names. We tested 
the existence of God, basically, when we played Stoke in January. It's a while ago now, that. Uh, was he on the side of Nathan Jones, their highly religious manager, or was Marcelo Bielsa himself the Lord Almighty? Now, you will remember, of course, Stoke won, but they went on to lose to Preston the week after and gave up the blasphemy baton. Incredibly, Preston held on to it thanks to an unbeaten run that went on for more than two months. However, that run is over. The, uh, the, the baton run, has changed hands, Moscow. It's changed hands. The run that will be the basis for Preston beating us in the playoffs. Behave yourself. We're going up now. It's in positive. doubt now. It's in doubt now. They've lost that game. This is true. Yeah. Reading beat them. That's uh, incredible. How do we feel about Reading being an, the anointed club? Or do you think maybe with the Lord moving in mysterious ways that it's uh, just the next step on a longer journey? He does say that the meek shall inherit the earth. So can't get much more meek than Lewis Baker. I was discussing this. I'll, I'll spare him. Uh, the embarrassment by not mentioning his name, but discussing the the, the God Rod with someone uh, at work who's a podcast listener, and it, discussing it as if it was a, a genuine thing that may that may some way decide promotion. And it was like, kind of got halfway through and be like, "This is a made up thing, isn't it? It's not. Uh, we don't need to. Do, we don't need to really worry about this, this. This was just me being a dick to fill some time on a podcast. Isn't that the basis of all religion, though? It's just a made up thing, and yet it runs the world. True enough. No, girls run the world. That's Beyonce. It's been worked out, actually, by underscore Robbo Parker uh, on Twitter that it could still be ours because Reading have possession of it now. They've got Brentford on the 13th of April, so if they can hang on to it, lose to Brentford, then we play Brentford on the 22nd. It still could be ours. We could be the anointed team as we win the championship and go up as champions. Yeah, Robbo, uh, to give him his... Or uh, stay second, which is fine by me. His other name, Robbo Caraccio. Uh, it's pointing out it will be past to us with two games remaining, so we'll have it for the Villa and Ipswich matches. Yeah, that's, uh, having God on our side to take us over the line, it's it's there, but it does mean that um, Reading have to get through Hull and Norwich unbeaten. Well, that sounds fine. What about you? <laughs> I think I, I'm actually happy for Reading to keep it if that's what they're going to do. If Reading managed to beat Norwich and that somehow impacts on the Championship race, then I might just go and drink a can of Cara- uh, Carabao or whatever the fuck it's called. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Well, we've got our beautiful reunion with Gary Monk to look forward to at the weekend. We will get on to that. First, let's pick our heroes and villains. First of all, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Somebody who has made us feel a little bit sad. And 
as is the custom with this award. Ken Bates is the first nominee. He cannot win it, by the way, according to the rules. He can't win it. However, he does need to be nominated every time and first for the Villainy Award. What's he done now? He's not doing much, but what's he done? It's not directly. It's nothing he's done recently. But um was reminded of the, our team from five years ago, from Curtis Steele on Twitter. Um, I'll start with the good bits. Uh, Sam Byron was at right back. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a good start. Who else? Uh, that's that's the good bit over and done with. The rest of the team, um, Paddy Kenny, Lees and Peltier. Tom Lees, maybe. Maybe he was all right. Yeah, harsh on old Tom. And then Warnock at, at left back. But then it was when you get into the midfield and attack. How about this for a dynamic, pacey front six? You've got right wing, Greeny. Left wing, Tongi, who's one of the slowest players I've ever seen, I think, play for Leeds. Midfield, Brown and Norris. And then up front, Morrison and Varney. We just started playing a game of FIFA. Uh, you know, you can do the career mode, FIFA on the Xbox, mm. where you can be one player. And I've gone in, you know, Phil Foden, who's the young lad at Man City, thought, oh, that nice long game there, being loaned out to Port Vale, played alongside um, Tong. Won't pass to him. <laughs> Don't pass to him. Don't like him. That sounds typical. Is he still playing, Tongi? According to FIFA, <laughs> 18, yes. Uh, Morrison and Varney up front, that's a hateful pairing, isn't it? That would have been uh, Varney playing behind Morrison, I think, because he was... Um, it was the Ungonche. Yeah, he was there to uh, replace... Snodgrass, wasn't he, in uh, Warnock's big tactical master plan? He's like, oh yeah, disappointed to lose Snoddy. Like I promised him the world if he'd stay. But uh, it's all right because I've got Luke Varney. Oh, More of a goatsy than an Ingonshaw. <laughs> that midfield, though, is just disgraceful. Green, brown, Norris and Tong. There's basically the same player four yeah. times. It's like we've been cloning people. I mean, Tong had maybe a bit more craft about him than the others, but... But he was so old. That's... Well, he wasn't so old. Well, he looked so I old. I think even now he's probably younger than Lionel Messi or something bizarre. Well, I what... remember at the time thinking he, thinking he was about 45. Why did I age so much just watching them play? Was this the game as well? Because it's quite late to the season. I think it's the blame Tom Lee's match. So this is when he got uh, the phone call on the way home from Ken and Susanna telling him, oh, don't worry about that nasty Neil Warren. Is this also the one where he dragged Chris Dawson all the way to sit on the bench and then not bring him on so that he missed yes, uh, the under-18s championship? They'd, I think they'd already won it and they were just going to celebrate it. And instead he made him go all the way to fucking Ipswich not to play. Amazingly, Michael Tong is 36 years old next week. That's why he's younger than me. Well, I, I could believe that. Yeah. To be fair, most footballers are younger than me now. Very, very few. How old is Steve Morrison, who is also obviously another nominee in this? Morrison's 35. He's uh, he's oh, going to be 36 yeah. this summer. Maybe he's got one more season in him. Like we said before, really hope that was the last we saw of him. It should be mentioned that his uh, big thing that he managed to do on um, Saturday was winding up the fans at the front of the West Stand when he was warming up. Um, I didn't see exactly what kicked off but it took a steward having serious words with a, a fan, comforting a ball boy, and then a fourth official had to come all the way over from the dugouts and was talking to Morrison for quite a while, like saying, look, the crowd are getting angry about you being here. Could you move, either move along to a different part of the like, no, The West Stand I'm, as well. Exactly. It's the most sedate bit of the ground. And it, it, all it really would have took, it was like, I think the question was, look, we know you need to warm up, but that's fine. Could you maybe, because these people are annoyed with you, could you like move 20 feet down and do it there? It's like, why should I move? It went on for bloody ages. It's a shame an old lady didn't blind him with a pound <laughs> coin or something, really. 
going to say, you know, the, the West Ham being today, it's not when Berardi's on the bench. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Can go wild at any time. It feels like we've segued nicely from Ken Bates into Steve Morrison as a nominee for this. Yeah, so he's nominated. And I think we should tie that in with uh, the whole Millwall second goal situation, which we are now being investigated by the FA for. They're going to have us upon a disrepute charge for throwing things at Millwall's players. Obviously, the FA won't. But all they have to do is watch them scoring the penalty, running to where their fans are, and then stopping like a cartoon style, like Wiley Kyoto going off a cliff. And they go, oh, actually, no, why don't we go and wind up the Leeds fans instead? I'm sure things would have been thrown at them anyway, but that's what made... <laughs> big things get thrown at them. And, I mean, uh, we condemned our fans early on for our, our history in the 80s of racism. But in 2019, what do we think about pelting Millwall's players with objects? I think it's fair enough. I think, <laughs> I think a lot. Of, my only complaint would be that a lot of the things seem to just be those bold up paper signs from the East mm-hmm. stand, which one of them I noticed, I've picked up at one point and was trying to complain to the ref. Then he was like, oh, it's just a bit of paper, actually. I can't yeah. really. Unless it's a good paper stock, it's not going to do much damage. That was another thing on the Millwall commentary. They referred to uh, things being thrown and said, oh, because they had that pre-match display. All that's been turned into paper planes that have been coming on the pitch throughout. I don't remember a particular hail of paper planes coming on the pitch. I don't think I see even one. As you say, a a few were thrown during the uh, um, celebration. It's not a Stanley knife, is it? Sort of thing you could use to slash another fan around the face kind of thing. And it's not like it was a Battle of Britain style. The sky wasn't filled with paper aeroplanes coming off the east stand when there were that many of them and nobody in the south stand had any anyway unless they'd been snuck around I mean the Ben Marshall who scored the penalty there number four rather than uh, pick up the bottle and complain to the referee he said look this this terrible thing has been thrown on the pitch it could have injured somebody he picked it up took the top off and pretended to wank himself off in front of the south stand to wind them up even more what do you fit inside a, what are presumably a 500 milliliter pop bottle that's not a wide opening I mean, I bow to your experience of trying to cram things into the uh, pop bottle openings, but it wasn't the uh, the actions of somebody who seemed particularly upset about what was uh, what was occurring between him and the Leeds United supporters. So I think the two things got been taken account. One, were the Millwall players starting it? Yes. Were they asking for it? Yes. Were they glad it happened? Yes. So why fine Leeds? I mean, even if you've gone big and used a two litre bottle, that's got a very narrow opening as well. Piper Pringles, I find the best. For in case the Daily Mail are listening in, we should just say, don't actually throw stuff at people. No. Unless they're Millwall. Steve Morrison is maybe the one exception, but only something that'll injure him temporarily. Like the pile of mud that you've gathered while destroying Neil Harris's home. Neil Harris, do you want to give any mention to old uh, Beaverface? He was moaning a bit about red cards. I just think, again, we're not going to play him again. So yeah. He also skulked off straight down the tunnel after Morrison. He didn't hang around. He was, it, it was like, reasonably gracious as well in the post-match. Mm, no, no I'm not interested in that. He gets away without villainy, but nothing more. Staying in London, but do we want to mention Steve McLaren, who's been fired by QPR? Yes. Having the temerity to beat us in the one victory they've had, well, two victories actually. Yeah, they beat Portsmouth in the FA Cup. That was only after beating us in the FA Cup and the only league win this year in 2019. Uh, was also against us. What does that tell you about him, that that club? Everybody is complicit apart from Matthew Smith, who I'm sure was appalled by events. But yeah, for fuck's sake, just lose to us as well, crying out loud. You made Marcelo Bielsa sad. And for what? You get sacked anyway. But without that, we wouldn't have got the WBA bounce back potentially, so... I would have beaten them 4-0 anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, speaking of managers with uh, dodgy haircuts, Neil Warnock, he's been in the headlines. Do we want to mention old Colin here? He's been outdone to again, hasn't he? That's the thing. Never gets a break, that lad. Never gets a break. A decisions always always are going against it. I mean, this was, these were really funny decisions. Let's be honest, these, these were not things that 
just Warnock would moan about. One of them, there was like two players about eight yards offside and it wasn't given. And I it mean, was very, very funny. Which is, we're fine with that. Yeah. Oh, in this case, yes. Watching him wailing at Sarri on the touchline, who was trying to just go, probably just saying, I know. Yeah, refs are bad, aren't they, Neil? And he's just screaming in his face. You've got a cigarette. Well, disallow it then. Just take it, let us score or something. Come on. <laughs> the whole performance in the centre circle at the end of the game where he just stood there putting on something that he would never have done if that game wasn't live on the television was just ridiculous. It's all a performance for Warnock, isn't it? Yeah. All of it. That matey bonhomie that he does in the post-match interviews, you know, the one that you always send up, Moscow, with your good, quite a good impression. It's always like that, isn't it? Unless he's angry, he's either matey or angry and never anywhere in between. There was probably the person in the stadium who was happiest about that offside call was probably Neil Warnock, because he's going like, now I can really give it some. Because they're going to get relegated. He can't say that, oh, this is a, this will cost us under a million, it'll probably cost me my job. Rubbish. Your team's terrible, you'll get relegated. But this gave him the opportunity to really, to come up with that whole, I'm going to stand in the centre circle and just look and shake my head at the referees. It's just so calculated and so all about his image that it's it's sickening, really. And (laughs) somebody should paint his eyebrows back on. That would show him. Wonderful bit of research by Jackie Oatley, a football journalist, who pointed out, you know, when he was on the receiving end of a decision similar to this, good fortune from the referees earlier in the season, he puts it down, you know, laughs it off in the, you know, the matey post-match interview. It's it's Lady Luck that's uh, shined on us this time and all that kind of what thing. What he'll always say is if, if a decision goes his way, he'll always say, well, we, are, we were the better team anyway and we just got that bit of luck, which we deserved. We know we used to do it at Leeds when he'd complain about something. We'd been absolutely dicked 4-0 or something, like the Ipswich game that we were talking about then when we lost 3-0. He'll have come out and said the referee was to blame in that. Tom Lees. Or someone else. Not him. No, never him. Just takes zero responsibility for anything. And if he senses senses the opportunity to make something about him in some way, be that a refereeing decision or the death of a player, he will do so. And you look at like the West Ham signing Tevez and all that, that was obviously his excuse for getting relegated that season. And yeah, he always externalises blame, doesn't he? We're getting quite psychologically, but it seems to be true. One of my favourite Neil Warnock blame instances when he didn't get uh, manager of the year and he blamed Kevin Blackwell for voting for David Moyes. He just takes it to spectacular levels, places where nobody else would think there was blame to be found. He is there. In fact, maybe he should be a, a insurance scam artist <laughs> instead of uh, football management fraud. I said it. In the uh, achievement uh, like promotion sense, not the the financial yes side. Correct. I'm sure, that's all above board and his books are very well kept. Quick bit of cross-promotion before we pick ourselves a uh, a winner there. And that is if you want to get your teeth into Warnock, we have a game on uh, our Extra Ball podcast called Warnock or Warnot. Throw a quote at these two chaps and then you have to decide, was it Neil Warnock or was it not? Have a look at the squareball.net for that. It's uh, great fun. It's great fun. The lads love it. <laughs> Little Paddy Kenny can't get enough of that game. Brownie, best thing he's heard. And with that a uh, little bit of horrible greasy salesman uh, pitch done, who are you picking? Not Steve Morrison. I no. don't know. I know it's it's kind of our one last chance to make him feel relevant. So let's just let's just let our abiding memory of him be him uh, skulking down the tunnel. And then um, also, I did read on some of the forums apparently some people had a go at him in a motorway service station, and he uh, called them all uh, rude names. So those things. Ah, does this change your opinion on Steve Morrison? Actually, apparently leaving for the better ground or worse for worse. 
leaving the ground, apparently some young girl said something to him and he said, yeah, I'm going to go back to my massive house, something. So he played that card as well, just to say the sort of person he is. Yeah, I think we know all this. We don't need to give him an award, mm. an award just to uh, to do it. And he's he's probably, um, we haven't got that list that was very kindly provided to us of the uh, of all our villains. I'm sure he's won it plenty of times before. So let's just let him fade into insignificance. He'll no longer have his uh, twice uh, yearly opportunities to do an interview about why the Leeds fans hate me. So if it's not him, then who is it? The rest of them. Is it, should we say, everybody at Millwall except Steve Morrison? <laughs> And we do that because they, they were they were pretty annoying, but they let us win. But yeah, the whole we are going to have to get a fine for uh, for the way they celebrated their penalty. So um, so everybody, including uh, the water vole that manages them, <laughs> the idiots who were commentating um, for them on iFollow, all the players, all the coaching staff, not Steve Morrison. Excellent choice. Sorted. Well done. Well done. On to the Andy Hughes Hero Awards. This is where we give a nod in the direction of somebody who's brought some joy over the last weekend. A joyful weekend was had by all, so I can think of, well, at least one prominent candidate for the Hero Award. And I'd like to put Pablo Hernandez, it seems like an obvious one, Pablo Hernandez in for this. But uh, what are we going to put him in for? Both goals. That's to start with. Opening bid, I say we nominate him for his two goals. Michael? Not just this week, but all season. I think he's been probably our best player. Maybe him and Phillips, the two that I'd say have been slightly above everyone else. And for his, uh, as Pontus Janssen pointed out on Twitter, for his reaction to not making the uh, championship team of the year, he put in that performance. So we recognise what a good player he is. I would nominate him as well for being very quiet about that and letting his magical feet do the talking. I'd like to, a bit of a left field one, but I would like to add the fact that he, he scored against the old scumbags for Valencia. That's worth nominating for. Started yeah. pleasing us ages ago without realising. Scored that goal while having two fringes. Oh, did he have two fringes then? He's got it now. I think he's had the two fringes for a while. Well, you're nom- okay. You can nominate him for having two fringes now and historically. I'll nominate him for the period when uh, he was much younger and he had a, like a, an old Johnny Marr haircut. Not old as in a haircut that Johnny Marr had long ago, a haircut that Johnny Marr had when he was old, but that Pablo Hernandez had when he was young. Incredibly bold. Has Pablo Hernandez ever been young? You've seen the pictures. Well, there's another thing perhaps to nominate him for is for his uh, bravery in the Vietnam War. Mm. And to go on and have such a good career after that. He certainly, I believe when he was there, he was uh, 19 on average. Another one uh, for the kids. I would like to uh, nominate him because Shades of Strachan for the people over a certain age, being our sort of promotion right wing talisman, does that tally up? Is that fine? Yeah, I think so. Do we nominate him as well just for his... um, for the eyes, they are as uh, as lovely as they are threatening. I think they, the way that they can turn from satin to steel is something you don't see in many other in many other players. From satin to steel sounds like an erotic novel. Well, Channel five, ten o'clock. Should we uh, nominate him for the future erotic novels that will be written about him and then turned into Channel Five series? That's you not say, happened you yet. You say that will be written. Um, Have you heard back from the publisher? <laughs> Just negotiating a fee. Swarthy Spaniard Pablo. Who's going to play him? We'll bring back David Duchovny for the uh, <laughs> the role in the, the films. Anything else that we can nominate Pablo Hernandez for? Feels like we're spent. I'm spent. Are you spent? There is a lot. I mean, he is not just a man, he is an enigma. So trying just to uh, encapsulate him in a list of his qualities and attributes is beyond even three people who Oh no, I've got him. one, I've got one. Oh, okay, maybe it isn't. For probably spawning a whole generation of dogs called Pablo. 
People will buy dogs, they'll call him Pablo. He's having the award, isn't he? People are going to have children and call them Pablo. Absolutely. I'm going home and renaming both of mine unilaterally. Never mind what my wife wants. Both of mine getting called Pablo, son and daughter. Pablo Lita. Pablito and Pablita. Is that how it works? Yes, it does now. Right, we've got Birmingham at the weekend. We're going to win, aren't we? Gary Monk, we owe him one. And they're shit as well. Keep losing. Keep losing. Been deducted points. Sadly, not enough points to take them down. But, you know, yeah, we should win. It's a bit of a shame, really, they were deducted points because they were drifting towards mid-table mediocrity, the Paul Heckingbottom years at Leeds where no one really gave a shit anymore. Whereas now they probably could do with winning a couple of games just to make sure they're safe. I think that probably plays into our hands a little bit because they need to win, which means they can't just do that sort of shithousing job on us that they did at Ellen Road. They're going to have to come forward a bit. I don't know, though, looking at their games, they'd be thinking this is one they'd be happy to take a point from. So they will shit house from the minute go. We'll let them get away with that Island Road when they took the lead after 10 minutes or something ridiculous and gave them the opportunity just to... I don't know, it's funny because I'd, I'd never remembered Gary Monk making leads play like that when he was here, but he did turn into the most dire, horrible version of championship football imaginable. So the key thing is that we can't let them take the lead at any point. His tactic for us was basically let Chris Wood score and then try not to concede. So he does have it in him. I mean, the fact remains here that we are better than this lot. And if we do harbour, and it feels like Groundhog Day, harbour promotion hopes, we've just got to go there and beat them. That's what we're in now. We're into that kind of, and I hate to say it because the analogy frightens me, but cup final territory. You make it sound easy when you put it like that. I've looked up to see what, uh, on who scored.com to see what Gary Monkey is bringing to Birmingham as their current style of play. You know, when sometimes you see a team on who scored.com and it maybe says that they're good at counter attacks. No, I don't because I don't read it because I'm not bothered. I think. Yeah, but I tell you in every podcast, I I assume you listen with rapt attention. Mm. Birmingham's strengths, they are very strong at aerial duels and then they are strong at the following. Counter-attacks, attacking set pieces, creating long shot opportunities, creating chances through individual skill, creating scoring chances, defending set pieces and stealing the ball from the opposition. Mm. They sound absolutely incredible. You see, that to me just sounded like a load of internet noise. Well, no, I mean, if you break it down, that's seven strongs and one very strong. So So why aren't they higher in the league? Well, I was going to say, I think... Because they're not very good. This is a case of the league table just being a pack of lies. And um, we should probably, after we lose to Birmingham, swap positions with them. (laughs) You're an idiot. Um, We're going up, and I maintain this, and I've been trying to revise my thoughts on this over the weekend and not get too carried away. I still think we're going up. This is because I'm not fatalistic, but I've believed it within myself since that Stoke game, the first game of the season. This is a lightning in a bottle season. We'll win on Saturday and we're going to go up. Are you prepared to get on the promotion wagon yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really, it's been so many brilliant moments this year that we've really got to go up so it's not all ruined. Because if you can look, if we actually, if we can go up, it's probably going to be the best season I'll ever have supporting Leeds. <laughs> this is accepting we're never going to win anything. But the, the, the Millwall game, the Blackburn game, the Villa game, the Stoke game, there's so many great moments in it that it'd be tragic for us not to go up. But that's why we're going to do, because... We're quite good and we deserve to go up. We're That's better than Sheffield United. We're better than Birmingham. We, we deserve to be where we are. So you're saying there's a correlation between having loads of good moments and being a good team? Yes. Okay. That, so, so do you there's believe? A, there's a certain amount of logic in that. Do you believe yet? Mm, yep. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are some indications in our rivals fixtures this weekend because Norwich are playing uh, QPR who, I don't know who their new manager's going new to be, manager but new manager bounce, they're going to want to impress any guy. And I think whoever it is is going to look at that squad and just go, why wasn't McLaren using Matthew Smith more? Put him up front, 
hat-trick against uh, Norwich City, so that's all right. And then Sheffield United are playing Preston, who obviously they need to write themselves in the eyes of God and atone for whatever they did previously that made God take the baton away from them and give it to Reading. So they, they're going to be uh, fired up for it. So it could be. So what happens? I've got to do the maths here and I'm terrible at that. So that will put Leeds at 79, Sheffield United still at 74. So we would close the gap on Norwich to two points and we would be four points clear of Sheffield five. United. Five. Five points <laughs> clear of Sheffield United. I really am. I mean, I got an A in my GCSE maths, like the different modules. And I even took, I took pure maths at A level. And that's why I never went to university. But that's another story. Because that's some impure math you're doing there. It really is. So five points clear of Sheffield United. And it all sets up. And that leaves us then there's one, two, three, four, five, six games after that. So we'd probably it's have like to... It's like listening to Carol Vorderman work, isn't it? This? We'd probably have to lose them all to drop into the playoffs and then lose to Preston in the final. Um, so it will make that demise even more spectacular. So no, I don't believe. I just think it's going to be an even more absurd end of the season than we'd ever ever dreamed of. Come on, Michael, you're coming over to my side. I can feel it. I was there. I was there on Saturday. I have to say these things keep ha- keep happening. And yeah, which I, I know. I do know where you're coming from. I do. Which game are we penciling in for Pablo Hernandez's season-ending injury? Do you think Preston away? Midweek, a midweek match. I'll tell you. We'll be getting the no, no, updates no, no, from no, no. Uh, East Lanks Hospital. It will be the 90th minute of the Ipswich Town away game when he's lifting the trophy, he'll sprain his bicep. You can just borrow one of Salim Lamrani's. Well, as we are at what they call the business end of the season, issue nine, our penultimate issue of our fanzine came out for Millwall. Links to that on the website. Grab yourself some merch on there as well. It's a wonderful issue. Tribute to Bill Father being there. The fantastic picture uh, done by uh, Loomstride, at Loomstride on Twitter and the socials of um, the Alioski Duracell Bonnie brilliant picture that's going to haunt your dreams for many years to come. Also, please do check out the Extra Ball podcast as well. It goes along with this one. Helps to support what we're doing here. We want to do more of this. So if you get behind us, all that stuff, please find it at thesquareball.net. You're not here next week then, Michael. Apparently not, no. How dare you take a holiday at this time of the season? I had to squeeze it in. Not missing a home game, you see. She's changed you. I'm back in. I'm, no, I'm, I'm. I've done this on purpose. I had to pretend that I was looking around the cheapest flights and things, but actually, I was trying to desperately to sandwich it between home games, which I've successfully done. I'm even taking my kids out of school. <laughs> <laughs> Only for an afternoon. It's fine. Both be ill at the same time. Exactly. That's yeah. that's the official line. It works. Uh, Moscow, you're going to be here though next week. Yeah, well, I had my holiday last week as uh, listeners to our other podcast, The Extra Ball, will have noted from our, when we were playing the game Soccer Supremo, I pulled the very convenient missed two turns because you're going on holiday card. Had a nice break in Bournemouth. Sm- did you smash the place up? Uh, well, I was. I know you didn't. In but. frustration at not being able to uh, do anything on that game. I thought about it, but I chose instead to just um, enjoy Eddie Howe's company and uh, Amanda Holden's bicycle habits you've really got to listen to the extra ball to make any sense of <laughs> that any of will this. make sense and it is loosely about Leeds united hey listen thank you for listening to this podcast thank you for getting behind the extra ball as well and we will be back another three points closer to our glorious generation defining promotion next week we'll speak to you then the square ball podcast planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.